0: Welcome to the January 30th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Romans, chapter 5, verses 2 through 11. And the sermon is entitled, We Glory in Tribulation, delivered today by Pastor Clyde Moyer. This week, the Lord has led me to one I actually wouldn't have chosen to to preach on, which is glorying in your tribulations because it's a hard subject. Doesn't even sound like it makes sense, really, and yet it's biblical. The idea of glorying and tribulation seems ridiculous on the surface, but I believe some of God's deepest mysteries and opportunities for personal growth are in the midst of our suffering, if we're faithful to look there. This morning, I'm hoping we can take a closer look at why Christians suffer, how to react in the suffering, and how to follow through and deal with it in a godly way. My text is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 5 verses 2 through 11 and not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life." And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. In Christian circles, the topic of suffering tends to be the elephant in the room. Uh, The elephant in the room being a major problem or controversial issue that is obviously present, but is avoided as a subject for discussion because it's more comfortable to do so. When I first got saved, for some reason, lack of study before then I'm sure, I assumed that life would be easy because I now had Christ in my life. And when I started realizing that sin still existed in my life at times, and then I realized that just because I was praying and trying to walk with God faithfully, that did not exclude me from hard days and hard times, it confused me. If I'm saved, why is this happening? And yet even though we tend to avoid this subject because we don't quite know the answer, we're surrounded by Christian suffering of all types, both in our inner circle of family and friends and worldwide. We don't really want to think about it if we can avoid it, but it's there. We want to be there to comfort and help our friends, I know we we do that, but we act almost as if suffering might be contagious. And if you hang around somebody that's having a hard time long enough, maybe it'll rub off on you. And that's a ridiculous thought, and yet it does happen and run through our minds. That being the case, if we're not careful and hold a good grip on our own thinking, we will have a tendency to be there for them once, get our duty done, check the box, and then go home and try to forget about what they're going through. You say, well, that sounds terrible. It sounds very human is what it sounds. And as a pastor on staff here, I can tell you that day in and day out, morning and evening, we get calls, texts, emails, whatever from people that need prayer and people that are in trouble one way or the other. And it gets overwhelming. If you're not careful, it can get you depressed and you're not much help to anybody else. But the point of it is, this is the normal Christian life. That type of happening. I suspect most of us, if we're honest, don't really understand why Christians suffer anyway. Aren't we covered by the blood of Christ? Doesn't Isaiah 53, five say, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Doesn't that mean we're exempt? That question is difficult to deal with, and I think most Christians are hesitant simply because we don't know what what to say. The first reason of four major reasons why the Lord allows suffering in the lives of Christians is an act of divine chastisement. This could also be called, in my particular case, the woodshed experience, if you know what the woodshed experience is, has to do with a belt or a paddle or a timeout or something. The Bible has excellent examples of good fathers in it and to the best of his ability, a good father spends time with his children and gets to know them. He develops trust with them by keeping his word and delivering on what he promises. And also a good father punishes his children if it is necessary to correct bad behavior. Our Heavenly Father is no different. He loves us dearly and has proven himself faithful to us beyond a shadow of a doubt. He literally came to earth and died for us so we could go to heaven and live with him. God loves us far too much to allow us to stay the same as we were when we got saved. He is determined to grow us and change us from what we are to what we should be because of that love like a master sculptor He chips off what we shouldn't be in order to slowly but steadily produce what we should be, namely the image of Christ. Hebrews 12 tells us that we shouldn't despair uh, when we are chastened by the Lord because that simply is proof that we belong to God. People don't punish other people's children unless you really want a little bit of a problem. You punish your own children. Uh, God punishes me and instead of being totally disillusioned because I'm getting a whip and spiritually, it's encouraging to me that God loved me, loved to, to, to chasten me, to correct me. We have honored our earthly fathers when they have correctly punished us. How much more should we honor our heavenly father who always punishes us exactly correctly? No one enjoys chastening because it's painful when it's happening. But when it's applied by Abba, our Father God, it's always for our own good, and it will produce good things. The second reason for Christians having suffering in their life would be a platform for God's glory, and this was going to be the hardest one to figure out, I think. The point may be the least understood in scripture as far as I'm concerned. The Gospel of John shares an incident where a man was totally blind from birth. The disciples asked Jesus if he was blind because his parents sins or his own. And Jesus gave them a remarkable answer that I would never have expected. Neither. Well, like what's left? He told them that the man was blind because God made him that way in order to glorify himself. If we're honest, I imagine most of us would agree that thought does not sound fair in the least. The guy didn't do a thing wrong and he's blind from birth because God wants him to be. That doesn't seem fair. After telling the disciples this, Jesus healed the man's blindness and he went home perfectly whole. But confusion over Jesus' statement, which I had, reveals a lack of understanding concerning God's overall purpose for us. We immediately jumped to the conclusion that this wasn't fair to the blind man, and I understand that thought. I thought the same thing too, but to begin to understand, I would suggest we try a different tack. We need to consider the very first sentences in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, which says it's not about you. I make everything about me, if I'm not careful. Anything that comes into our life, our first normal reaction is, how does this affect me? How am I going to have to change because of this? Am I going to have to change it? What's it going to cost me? How much time is it going to take? You know, Lord, I'm kind of busy. Uh, The Lord knows exactly what is in our life. He knows exactly how to move us, but he also knows that it's not about us. We tend to consider fairness in this situation only from the blind man's perspective. Yes, Jesus healed him. But what about all those years he was blind before the healing? It's not about the blind man. It's about how the blind man fits into the overall plan of God. Here is the real question. Would the blind man have impacted more people for the Lord by being blind, by never being blind? Or by being blind part of his life and then being healed by Jesus Christ? And he has that testimony the rest of his life. When we make a decision we need to consider who this decision is going to benefit or affect. When we decide to build or not build a building. When we decide to visit or not visit someone in the hospital. When we decide to change professions or not change professions. The question should be is this what God wants me to do not is this what I'd like to do. I'm fallible. I make mistakes. I need to consider which decision that, I, that are possibilities for me will re- reap the biggest benefit for Christ in souls? That's the point. We fit as a small cog in the overall eternal plan of God. My responsibility is not what find, to not find what makes me happy, but to find where I'm supposed to be plugged in and be there. It's kinda of like I don't know if any of you remembered the puzzles, I don't know if anybody works puzzles anymore, but you got one piece that just never fits. Well that's that's a problem, but it's even it's even more of a problem if you've got the piece that fits but refuse to put it in the right spot. How many of us as Christians are the perfect piece For some spot in ministry, somewhere in your life, somewhere in your community, it may be a radical professional change. It may not be a change at all. It may just be a radical difference in you in the same place. But how many of us refuse to let God plug us into the right spot? I have a suggestion as to which decision was the best for this blind man. I think it was the one that he had happen to him. We're still talking about him. Thousands of years later, so I imagine the answer to what was best is clear. We don't see the end from the beginning, but the Lord does. Not all situations, but some, are allowed by the Lord because of the long-term good that will result, not for my temporary or short-term benefit. The Lord knows precisely what ingredients to mix into each of our lives, mine included, to both correct us, And move us back into his will, which benefits us, and to glean the greatest harvest our life can produce, which benefits his plan. I think we forget that there's a whole overall plan. We're moving from where we were to where we're going to be. And it's even longer than the church age that we're in. we're talking, this is a plan that existed from eternity past that runs to eternity future. And we don't, we'll never, I guess, know all of it. God has never not known your name throughout all eternity. God has never not known what he wanted to do with you. God has never had confusion over what pieces to put into your life. You are a perfectly crafted tool to do what God calls you to do. The question is simply, will you allow yourself to be put into the puzzle right where you fit so that it benefits the whole puzzle as opposed to you? The next reason for for, uh, suffering in a Christian's life is spiritual warfare. That's a rough one. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is alive and well. He bitterly hates us. And he persecutes us to hurt our Heavenly Father. If you want to get to a parent quicker, than anything else, you do something to their children. But God, my, my God, Father God, watches out for me and He's covering for me. So I'm protected. But I still have to submit to the protection. I need my peace in the right place. Like the blind man we discussed, Job's situation is also difficult to understand. Job is a book in the Bible that will leave you frustrated when you read it. Or at least it did me. You're looking at it and it's like, why did this have to happen? Well, God held up Job to Satan as an example of a godly man. And what Satan did, basically, was dared God to let him get involved and we'll see if he still loves you after I finish with him. Interestingly, and quite frankly not to my liking, God decided to allow Satan to do that. I wish he wouldn't do that, but God allowed Satan to to touch Job. God held up Job to Satan as a wonderful example, but Satan was determined to change that fact. I imagine most of us remember the story. Satan took Job's children, his livestock, even his health, and Job refused to curse God even after all that. Even after his wife, his loving wife in Job 2.9 said, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. That's not very encouraging. He's sitting there scraping his boils with a piece of broken pot and his wife gives him this little tidbit of encouragement. She's frustrated, she's hurt, she has lost her children and belongings just like Job has lost his children and belongings. And yet Job determined in his heart not to criticize or curse God. Now you gotta admit, if you read the whole book of Job, you will find out he had a lot of questions, but he refused to turn away from God. That's an example for us in suffering Are you willing to quit? you think it will be easier to quit or to move to something else? Job stayed put because God had put him there so the only place you should stay is where God wants you. The end of the story changes this whole thing dramatically. God restored far more to Job than he allowed Satan to take away and Job had grown substantially in his relationship to to God and his understanding of God. Clearly, Job was in the middle of the spiritual battle of his life. One of the easier ways to understand how spiritual warfare affects us is to compare it to spiritual or physical exercise. That's a dirty word. I don't care for it much. Uh, over the years, I've had a rowing machine. I've had a treadmill. I had—I forgot the thing. It looks like you're skiing. And not a single one of them made me get up in the morning and get on them. They just sat there and looked at me. Exercise. Physical exercise. If you're a member of a gym and ask the trainer to help you develop your biceps, the trainer will give you exercises that put tension and stress on the muscles you want to enhance. Stressing the muscle is the way that it learns to gain strength. It gets stronger. It gets stronger the more you use it, as long as you do it in the right balance. Understanding how physical muscles Understanding how stressing physical muscles help them grow stronger also explains the same thing with spiritual muscles. Your spiritual muscles are weak until they're stressed. Suffering comes, if challenges come, if hard things come, they stress your faith and your physical your spiritual muscles. What you do as a result of that depends on, is what determines what's going to happen after this is passed. You're either going to stay put like Job did or you're going to try to get out from under the problem and you won't grow any. And you know what happens when you get out from under the problem of a thing that God has sent to you? You're going to take that test over and over until you pass it. He will bring another situation into your life or a third situation. As long as we run from the problem we will not grow in our faith. In order to grow in faith, you have to stay where you are in the center of the hurt and allow God to lead you there. That's the stressing of spiritual muscles. The Lord knows where we are weak. You say, well, if he knows I'm weak, why would he let Satan touch me? Because Satan intended it for evil. But God put limits on Job in our life, put limits on Satan in our life, just like he put limits on Satan in Job's life. He said, you can touch him, but only to hear. It's like a sculptor, a master sculptor that has an apprentice and he says you can start here and you can stop there, but you can only chip right in the middle there. The deal is the end result, even though it was painful, we're closer to Christ and we look more like the image we're supposed to. By resisting Satan and our weakness, we're developing muscles that will bring us closer and closer to Jesus. The fourth and last reason for suffering In a Christian's life is also uncomfortable. It's spiritual growth, the spiritual growth that results. Let's reconsider Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, which say, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. There is a formula in those verses if you look carefully. The formula will result in becoming more like Christ if we follow them. By following the recommended order here, we're actually following the specific and exact order that Jesus went through his suffering. When we follow Christ's example, we will better understand a verse that I shared with our youth last Wednesday night. First Peter 5.10 says, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That was a verse that God gave me. He confirmed to me that he had given it to me, and I was all excited that, okay, I'm gonna get through this trial, and I got the answer 20 years later. God is faithful. God may seem slow, but he is never late. God fulfilled his promise specifically and correctly and exactly when I needed it most. It had everything to do with me coming on staff here and leaving an old profession. Had he tried to fulfill it sooner, I would not have been ready to make a move. Martin Luther, I love this saying, Martin Luther once said, They gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? Christ suffered. The Bible says that we will suffer like he suffered. If we're his, the world's gonna treat us the way they did him. For Philippians one twenty nine says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Suffering is such an integral part of the Christian life and it is told, spoken of so many times that this is gonna happen, you will experience it that I'm amazed that we have spent as little time figuring it out. Suffering is a good thing if the result is correct. Just like hard work on an exercise machine is painful while you're doing it, but the result is a good thing. Now we need to deal with the toughest part of the sermon, which is how should a Christian respond to suffering? How should we suffer? We should rejoice in our sufferings. Instead of viewing suffering through the filter of our own troubles, I would suggest viewing it through the filter of God's character. There is a verse in the Bible that says that if we fear, we have not yet been made perfect in love. What that means in today's speech is is if we're still afraid and we know God has control, it means we don't trust him as to what he's going to do. We're afraid he won't do what we want him to do. Well, God's not required to do what we want him to do. God's going to do the best thing for you, the best thing for the situation, the best thing for what's down the road. Several years ago, I was praying for my father to heal, but he didn't. What I found out, though, is that I didn't get peace in my heart about my father's illness until I gave dad to, to the Lord and said, Lord, whatever you choose here is okay with me. You don't need my permission, but I trust you to do the right thing. As a result, I'm still lonely as far as seeing him, but my father's completely healed. God answered my prayer correctly, even though I have to wait for the fulfillment of seeing him again. If The secret to answered prayer, if there is one, the secret to getting through suffering, if there is one, is to tell God and mean it, your will be done. What you choose is going to be the best. You know better than I do if I need this or not. God is eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent everywhere at once. He is completely perfect. If we are a born-again Christian, we know that nothing, nothing can touch us unless one of two things happens. Let me, let me emphasize that. If, you're, if God is who He says He is, and He is, God can't lie, and He can't you are in the center of God's hand. The only way something could take it out of God's hand is if they're stronger than God and overcome him, which is impossible, or if he allows you to be taken out for a purpose for a specific amount of time. So God either sends suffering or allows suffering, but he always takes the suffering and turns it into joy somewhere down the road. If we live, if we follow him with it. If God sends it, he knows it is intended to make us more like Christ. If God allows Satan to touch us, he knows it will make us more like Christ because there's limits. The answer is the same no matter who sends it. Our rejoicing should come from the fact that while we hate what's happening, we know it's gonna turn out for our good and we'll be more like Christ. Maybe if that doesn't sound all that exciting to you, we have our attention too focused on the world instead of on our eternal home. We're to view things and respond to things in light of what's gonna come down the road. Again, our rejoicing comes from the fact that God has this. He either sent it or allowed it, and he will never do anything harmful to you. If God sends it or allows it, it is the shortest, most loving way for God to get you from where you are to where you need to be otherwise he's not a loving God and he is. We can rejoice because God we know God loves us so much that he'll never allow anything to to get near us unless it's part of his will. We can rejoice because we know God hasn't forgotten where he put us and is in complete control. We can rejoice because we know he's walking through the trouble with us. He said he'd never let the waters overflow us. We can rejoice because we know testing won't last one second longer than necessary to achieve God's will. And we can rejoice because if God sends it or allows it, we can trust that it's the shortest, most loving way to get where we're going. These are all reasons for rejoicing. Why does God allow suffering? Actually, the answer is rather simple. God allows suffering because it accomplishes his will in a way nothing else can, or he would not use it. We live in a world that is fallen because of what Adam did. We live in a world that is cursed because of original sin that Satan is the prince of for a period of time. This world is not God's idea. This, is world, this world is what happened after sin. Humans were never created to die. We were created to live eternally. We gave the title deed to our life in the earth away when, we, when Adam committed original sin and we're born into sin. We are born sinful as we're born. No one is good, no one is perfect. We need Christ. The unbelievers claim that the existence of suffering proves God doesn't exist is a false assumption because their assumption is if God is good, he wouldn't allow it. God grieves with us while we're in the furnace, just like a parent who has a child in surgery. The parent allows the surgery, knowing it's hurtful, but allows it for the purpose of healing on the other end as a result of that surgery. There are three Christian virtues God produces from godly suffering, if we're in it. Endurance is one of them. Endurance, by definition, is bearing with patience whatever happens without yielding. Consider Christ's endurance of the abuse and crucifixion, even when he was completely innocent. Or consider Job, who we've talked about, who stood steady, never cursing God, even though he lost almost everything that he had, family including. Endurance focuses on the power of God instead of the current circumstances, believing steadfastly that God knows what he's doing. That's trust as well. Endurance is a very similar thing to the refiner's fire. The refining process uses the fire to burn the impurities out of the metal, the gold or the silver. Uh, Interestingly the silversmith knows it's time to take the the silver off the heat at the precise point he can see his reflection in it. Hopefully that strikes a chord when God sees his reflection in our suffering we've learned the lesson and he'll pull it back. The only thing that is destroyed are the things that are useless. Remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? Cast into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. The furnace was heated seven times hotter than normal. People that threw them in died from the heat, just casting them into the furnace. And when Nebuchadnezzar peeks in, he says, there's four people in there. Didn't we throw in three? And one of them looks like the Son of God. Well, he was right. Jesus was there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And just as we see that picture, Jesus is right beside you in whatever you're in this morning or whatever you're dealing with. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out, the only thing that burned were the bindings that held them. And the Bible says it didn't even smell like smoke. That's an amazing statement. The refining fire of suffering burns your bindings off. The things that you've been connected to that were detrimental to you. It burns loose the things. Christians many times are still dragging around things from the past that are already forgiven. Turn them loose. God's already done done away with the link that connects you to them. That happened when you were saved. Allow suffering to have its good work in you. Don't be so quick to say, Lord, get rid of it. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, accomplish what you want to in me from this the quickest way possible. And then you can graduate. Endurance produces character. That's the next thing. The refining process that produced endurance produces character in a believer that makes them attentive to Christ's voice. They will work hard to remain blameless before God. They will be bold and devout in what they do and will always try to walk in His pleasure. They will follow Christ because they found out Christ is all they need. You don't need anything added to Jesus Christ in your life. You just need Christ. All of the answers are there. You say, that sounds overly simplistic. We're stupid people. That's why God called us sheep. That's why it has to be overly simplistic. I gave you my son. That's all you got to get. You get him, the rest of it falls in place. Finally, the third result of suffering, character produces hope. So endurance produces character, character produces hope. One of the verses we started with says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. The word hope is not the same word we use now in the English language. This means a biblical hope is an absolute certainty of a future fact seen only through the eyes of faith, but it is real and solid. Our faith stands on the perfect foundation of Jesus because the character of God means he's absolutely faithful. We can trust him implicitly no matter what type of suffering we're in. As we come to closing comments, I hope what we've learned is it's not about me or you. It's about God's plan and God's suffering brings us closer to the correct plan for our life. Yield to what he's put you in. You cannot be where you are without the fact of God sending it or allowing it. Even if sin puts you where you are, God already knew you were gonna sin and he's made provision for that to get you out of it if you yield to him. If we know the Lord and have trusted him to save us, God's plan is what it's about in our life. If God is who He says He is, and if God can't lie, then we're in the palm of God's hand, as we said a moment ago, and nothing can touch us. We can rejoice in our troubles because the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, For things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I doubt seriously any of us have a problem that's not on that list. God's got it covered. That's why we should glory in our tribulation and in our suffering, because God is accomplishing something in us. We're going to emerge from the fire, like Job said, as gold, not the stuff we went in with. I don't know what you're carrying this morning. I know you're human, that means you're suffering in some place or the other. You have a burden for whatever. Give God your burden this morning. Give Him your suffering, whatever it is. Come down and pray with one of the pastors. You don't have to speak to us. Come and kneel and ask the Lord to take care of it. The Lord's the one that fixes it anyway, not us. The only question is whether you're going to let go of the suffering and accept God's will for your life, or if you're going to hang on to the misery and focus on that. Come to the Lord. Give it to him and leave it at the altar and trust him to carry you through the rest of the week and the rest of your life. Secondly, I don't want to miss an opportunity that if there's even one person here or listening by live stream that does not know the Lord, Jesus is coming back and it's a whole lot closer than it has been. If you're not saved, if you don't know that you've accepted Christ as your Savior, your time may be very short. We do not know how long we're going to have. That being the case, it would behoove you to take action on that, and this morning, if you don't know him, come down and make it right. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for the folks that are here. Remove any error that I may have taught. I ask that you would let what you gave me this sermon for to happen in the lives of those that need to hear it. I ask that you would help people release their suffering to you, release their burdens to you, And Father, if anyone is here that doesn't know you as Lord, we ask that you would save them this day. In Christ's name we pray. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.